it doesn't matter where you come from it doesn't matter how you started it doesn't matter your reason why it doesn't matter who you're doing this for as long as you work hard you can absolutely achieve everything hello everyone and welcome to the student lawyer podcast series whether you're at school sick form university thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers you're in the right place we are the one-stop shop for student lawyers if you'd like to join the student lawyer as a writer please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com this episode is sponsored by the university of law What really sets the University of Law apart from other universities is its belief that its students should learn in a realistic, professional and contemporary context. They focus exclusively on practice-based training and give students access to their extensive career service and jobs vacancy database as soon as they accept a place with them. Through the University of Law's pro bono program, law students can hone their skills by working on real cases before they graduate. The University of Law offers a range of postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students advance at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. To find out more about the courses on offer, click the link in the description box of the podcast. Welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast Series. My name's Camilla. I'm an LPC student at the University of Law and a future trainee solicitor, and I'm going to be your host for today. On today's episode, I'm joined by three Open University Law students, Laurie Elizabeth Ketley, Liam Chin, and Eleanor Mayhew-Hills, who have all been awarded scholarships from Gray's Inn, one of the four inns of court. Laurie Elizabeth has been awarded the Baroness Hale of Richmond Scholarship, Liam has been awarded the Wilfred Watson Scholarship and Eleanor has been awarded the Cynthia Terry Scholarship. The prestigious scholarships recognise merit, intellectual ability, advocacy and drive and determination to succeed at the bar. The scholarship programme promotes equality and diversity in the legal profession, ensuring that the best people are attracted to a legal career regardless of their background. Our guests today have particularly inspiring stories as they've been balancing work alongside childcare and also studying at the Open University. So I'm very excited to find out more about their journeys and to share advice to any of our listeners who might be in similar positions or thinking about going to university alongside working and or other commitments. So let's welcome our guests onto the show. Hi, Laurie, Elizabeth, Liam and Elena. Welcome to the podcast. Please could you just maybe start off by telling us a bit about your background and why and when you decided to pursue a career at the bar? Yeah, so thank you. Um, Thank you for having us. Um, So in terms of myself, um, obviously I'm Laurie Elizabeth. I've just finished up um, my law degree at the Open University um, I am actually awaiting my results now, so a bit of <laughs> a bit nervous at the moment. Um, we we are likely to find them out on sort of the twentieth of July. Oh, um, not too long then? <laughs> no, not too long, but it feels like an age when you're there. Yeah. Um, so we're just anxiously waiting for those at the moment, and then I'm hoping to start the bar course in September at the University of Law in Birmingham. 
So a little bit about me and my background, really. Um, I had quite an average background. I'd consider it to, it to be anyway. Um, I was raised in a single parent family um, and I'm the eldest of five siblings, <laughs> um, all girls as well. So poor parents. <laughs> Um, uh, so my mum was a single parent um, and I actually spent a lot of time helping to care for my younger sisters as well. Um, I was state school educated um, and my family moved around quite a lot as well. So I actually didn't manage to finish any school in its entirety. I actually attended five schools in total. Um, so it was quite, um, you know, all, a bit all over the place, really. Each school had a different syllabus and examination boards. So it was really difficult. Yeah, Yeah, it was just really difficult for me to be able to um, sort of learn the syllabus, essentially. Uh, I remember each school, my primary school, my secondary school, sorry, and then my A-levels. It came to the last year. So in my GCSE year, my family moved. um, And then obviously there was a a brand new syllabus. So, um, yeah, it was just difficult. And most of the exams I undertook, I hadn't even learned. Uh, the the content that was within those exams. Um, So I came out with um, eight GCSEs, mainly at C grade, um, which I was happy with considering the circumstances. And then I went on to do my A-levels at under the school. I probably received what most people would consider to be poor A-levels there. I, I came out with a C, a D and an E. And I guess overall, I'm kind of proud of the results considering um, you know, the situation that I was in at that time. I was also doing a really long commute. So I was commuting from Coventry to Redditch every day, which is a 50-minute journey um, there and then back. So, so yeah, so that's a little bit about my, you know, family and educational background, really. Um, did you want me to move on to, you know, why I wanted to become a barrister or? Yeah, yeah, please do share. Yeah, okay. So, so I wanted to become a barrister before I even knew what a barrister was. I used to prance around my back garden telling my next door neighbour that, you know, I wanted to become a barrister and she she thought that was great sort of thing. But I literally had no idea what I was talking about. I must have seen it on TV somewhere or something. Um, And then when I took part in a mock uh, criminal trial at the age of 13 years old, that was when I really, it sort of really spiked my interest. And I thought, you know what, this is a bit of me. and from then on, I, I sort of had an interest in the law. And, you know, I mean, like many of us, I'd watch series. I mean, I'm not sure how close to you know, the real thing they are. But, you know, it, it, I, I just thought that spiked my interest anyway. And then I finished sixth form with the, with the grades that I've obviously already mentioned. And I worked at Virgin Trains um, as a customer service assistant, um, which was, you know, I really enjoyed. I was then lucky enough to buy my first home at 18, um, which was obviously very young, but, you know, I was in sort of a settled job at that time. And then um, just a bit of a backstory, you know, about me for it to make sense, really. So I had my little boy in 2013, Harlan, um, and the child care costs, as many of us know, are astronomical. They are like... I know I was speaking to my sister the other day and she said something like the childcare actually costs more than her rent and this was exactly it is and this was before the time of 33 hours of um, of childcare that they give you now in 2013 they didn't actually offer you that so it was literally um I was married at the time and and um and 
the childcare costs exceeded my husband's wage. It, you know, there, it was a, it was an enormous amount, and we had to provide food and everything else. So something had to give, um, yeah. and you know, and it was me. So I, I ended up leaving Virgin Trains, and then I, I was relying upon my um, ex-husband's wages at the time. Um, so then, in two thousand and fifteen, my marriage actually broke down, um, and obviously I wasn't working because I'd given up work because of the childcare costs. Um, and so subsequently, um, my son and I actually became homeless. Um, and obviously I was trying to single parents. So we were, um, I mean, I'm so grateful and thankful, but we were living in hostels at the time and we were moving around a lot, um, hotels as well. And, you know, we were really looked after by the council it was at the time, but it was, it was just, you know, an awful time in my life. Yeah, it was horrific. And when you've already had a home of your own, and you've you you know you all you've almost thought that you were really settled in life, yeah. to then you know regress in a way. For me, I felt as if I'd gone backward a little bit, um, and it was really hard to swallow. Um, and then a year later, a few months after that, it wasn't even a year. Um, my sister actually died from a heart condition. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, thank you, and. Um, and I actually share that heart condition. We didn't know that she had it at the time. Um, so I was subsequently diagnosed with it. And I now have a pacemaker and an ICD. So I went through quite a lot in a really short space of time. And, you know, the turning point for me really was I went to visit some family friends. And we all sat around a breakfast bar and sort of discussing where our lives were at. And this was in... Um, the, this is in 2017, I think. So it's been a year now since my sister's um, death. And, you know, and everyone was talking about their achievements. And, and I was so proud of their achievements. But, you know, inside I felt, inter- I felt so embarrassed. And I felt just, you know, as if I wasn't almost doing enough. Do you know when you almost just look at your life, you assess where you're at and you think, you know, it's not good enough. This is not good enough. I'm, I don't want to accept that this is my life right now. You know, I, I, I want to accept that I've been on a journey and this is where I'm at at the moment. However, this is not where I want my destination to be. And and I knew something had to change. And that's and it was then that I decided that I was going to, um, you know, start a law degree. That's amazing. I, I think that's so inspiring, and 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 I love how you know you obviously had that that uh, desire to be a barrister when you were so much younger, um, and then actually following that after everything, I just think that's so inspiring. Thank you so much. I mean, it, it it this is how nervous I was at that time. You know, it wasn't necessarily that I thought right, I'm going to become a barrister, and that is exactly what I'm going to do because I'm so capable and I had all this faith in me it wasn't even necessarily that it just ignited a fire within me and I just knew that I had to give something a try and that was something that had almost been this underlying passion from a young age you know even now I've finished my law degree and many of my wider friends and family have no idea that I've even done a law degree wow (laughs) (laughs) I've kept it a big secret so because I was you know I was worried that I, I I was going to fail essentially you know, so I just thought at that point, I bit the bullet and I think I thought, you know what, I've just got to run with it and give it a good shot. Well, I'm so happy that you've done it and you're obviously doing so well. So congratulations on everything you've achieved so far. Um, it, it is amazing and I'm really excited to kind of 
maybe follow your journeys um, into the future as well and maybe get you back back on in a couple of years. Um, but because I think it's just such an inspiring story. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that. Um, maybe perhaps um, Eleanor or, or Liam, I don't know if, um, yeah, perhaps you'd like to tell the listeners a bit more about your background and, and why you decided to pursue a career at the bar. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy enough to go. Um, so a lot of similarities between me and Laurie Elizabeth. Really. Um, I was born in a single parent household. I'm one of seven. Um, but we were raised by my dad. My mum, uh, unfortunately, suffered with a lot of um, mental health issues and a lot of um, drug related issues. So um, very quickly, it became a case of my dad raising me and the, the rest of sort of separated between family members. Um, I was state educated. Um, we were homeless for a lot of years. We left London um, and came to the northeast, which is where I'm based now. So I'm up in Northumberland near the Scottish borders. Um, and for the first few years of living up here, we were homeless. So we lived in a caravan at the bottom of uh, someone's garden. And my dad would work day shift and then come home for a few hours and see me. And then he'd work night shifts as well a lot of times. So um, it was a very stressful, very busy period for him. And it was sort of a bit chaotic for me. Um, I achieved reasonably good GCSEs, nothing particularly special. Uh, I then obtained a bursary to attend the local all-girls school in Newcastle. But again, my commute was huge. So it was a 30-minute car drive and then an hour's train journey. Wow, that's so far. Each way. And it was. And, it, you know, in winter, in winter, it was, it was particularly harsh because I live in a farming community. Right. So we were often snowed in and I'd have to get tractors down to the train station. And it was just a very bizarre sort of two years. Yeah. Um, I didn't particularly achieve great things at my A-levels either. I was how my one of my teachers described me as distinctly average so uh I, w- I was never sort of set to make great waves in anything that I did particularly but then I decided that I was going to travel uh to Maastricht in the Netherlands and I was going to study my law degree over there and so that's what I did it was much cheaper than studying in Britain and I thought it was a, a nice way of sort of getting getting to see a little bit of the world Um, unfortunately after my first year well not yet unfortunately for my studies but very fortunately after my first year um I did fall pregnant with my son and so I had my firstborn in 2017 the May of 2017 and I had to drop out and I didn't want to give up on my studies I didn't want that to sort of be the end of it so I signed up for the open university so my son was born in the May and in the October I started my degree that's that's um, brilliant and sorry just just to interject were you able to swap over from from the Netherlands um like LLB was were you able to transfer or did you need to start again I would have maybe been able to transfer if Maastricht had done the modules in a different way because mm-hmm. it was a European Union law degree I'd already done EU law which was a final module in the OU so it was it would have required a lot of shifting and swapping and we all kind of just it would actually just be easier to start again. Yeah. Um, so it took me four years. I did it part-time in the first year and then I did it full-time the other years. But then in the August of my 
just before I started my third year. So you started third year in, no, in the September, sorry. Just before I started my third year, you start third year in October. In the September, I gave birth to my daughter. Um, and unfortunately, at that time, my relationship fell apart in a, in a very sort of aggressive and dangerous way. So at the start of my third year, I had a five-day-old on my first day. And I also was going to court several times to try and um, sort of protect me and my family. So it was a very, very stressful year. And anyone who studies equity, land and trusts knows that that's a, it's a pretty tough module without sort of dealing with other things at the same time. Um, but I got through it and, you know, I've just finished my degree and waiting the results the same as, as Laurie Elizabeth. And very similarly, I always wanted to be a barrister before I knew what a barrister was. So my dad attended court a lot when I was little to try and um, gain custody of me from my, uh, my mother. And so I was exposed to barristers a lot as a child I didn't really know what they were doing but I saw the kind of positive effect that they had on my dad and I saw that he would go into their office uh very nervous and very upset and he would come out pretty confident and pretty calm so I, I kind of always just wanted to to have that effect on people like my dad and so that's why you know it never changed the plan has always been be a barrister in family law and that's hopefully what I'm going to do when I if I start in September at Northumbria University, I just need to get a 2-1 and then I get my uh, my spot. Brilliant. Well, best of luck with, with your results. And again, it's a, I think it's amazing what you've achieved, um, you know, juggling everything. Like you said, it's, it's difficult enough to do these law modules, equity and trust. So I remember that very well. Liam, it'd be great to hear, to hear your story. Well, I mean, how do I follow that? I mean, two such inspirational stories right there. Um, I mean, mine, mine's not not quite um, as traumatic. And I take my hat off to both Laurie Elizabeth and Eleanor because they've overcome such adversity quite clearly. Um, but I was the same. I, I came from a state school background. Um, and, you know, I went to a state school that was in the middle of a council estate in Bristol, and we had 12 foot fences all around our all around our school because there were many local rival schools and these rivalries often spilled into conflict. And um, I think things like law, um, they certainly weren't careers that were were kind of projected at the school I went to. Um, I'd say most of the people that I went to school with are tradespeople. And I was no different um, at 16 years old. Um, I completed my GCSEs. I mean, I didn't do too badly. I've got got 10 GCSEs, A star to C. But I really wasn't kind of prepared to carry on studying. Um, it wasn't something I had any desire to do at that age. And I kind of had a real passion for cooking. Um, so instead of doing A-levels, I went off and did an apprenticeship as a chef and um, worked around the London circuit. So worked at quite a few Michelin star restaurants and I was out in France for a while. And I lived for seven years in a ski resort in Switzerland, cooking for the rich and famous, um, which, yeah, just wasn't a bad life at all. Um, And I always knew that I wanted to return back to the UK and especially to my hometown of Bristol and buy a house. And that's what I did. And, And when I came back here, the kind of realization hit that I was in, in in an industry that I didn't particularly enjoy anymore. Um, I noticed a lot of kind of injustice in the industry, um, especially against female workers and foreign workers. And 
it, I, to be honest, I felt quite trapped. Um, I felt like because I didn't have any A-levels and I didn't have a degree, I didn't have any way out. And at that time, I had a mortgage and bills to pay for. And I really felt kind of stuck. Um, so for me, it was kind of, okay, let's let's try and get a degree. Let's try and get a way out. And um, I'd, law is always something I've been interested in. Unlike the other two, um, I did not know whether I wanted to be a solicitor or a barrister. Um, but my feeling was that if I was going to get a degree, and the reason that I wanted to get a degree was to get out of an industry that I felt was was neglecting certain certain people, then it would be wrong of me to to move out of a career and progress and not not have the chance to kind of put right the wrongs that I I'd encountered. Um, I mean, I come from a, a, a male-dominated industry where females are treated poorly, but at the same time, they're some of the best chefs in the world. And foreign workers coming in and paid less than minimum wage and overworked, and because employers know that they that they don't really have any other option. And I thought, if I'm going to leave and I'm going to better myself, I want to do something for the the person who doesn't have a voice as well. Yeah, and yeah. so I decided to study law, and the Open University was the only option that I had. I can remember going to a brick wall university, and them saying, "Yeah, you can you can come here, and you can do your A levels, and you or you can do an uh, an access degree, and then you can do your law degree, and that's going to take you about five years." And I thought, "Wow, I mean, that's that's quite a, a way." Um, but the Open University were, you know, they have a, an open open entry policy, and that seemed like the the best way for me to go. Um, and I did, and I'm so glad I did. Um, and yeah, when I started my law degree, I had no idea how I was going to perform. Um, I hadn't studied for 16 years. I hadn't sat an exam for 16 years. Written an assignment for 16 years. Uh, the work I'd been doing was very kind of physical and hands-on, and this was a complete change. Um, and I had to keep working full-time while I was studying, otherwise I'd have defaulted on my mortgage and got in all sorts of trouble there. Um, but I, I loved it. I, I absolutely fell in love with the law, and fortunately, it became quite apparent at the start that my my grades were, were well up there. Um, and... I remember going to various open days at the Inns of Court and at different chambers and just finding out about the legal profession. And from that, I started working, or I got a position as a board member on the Independent Monitoring Board at, at HMP Bristol. And you go around and you you speak to the, the prisoners and basically you're looking after their welfare and their rights. And that gave me the first insight into how the legal system really works. And I was going to the, the prison governors and to other board members and, and really advocating on behalf of these, these prisoners and, and giving them a voice. And it dawned on me that this was the whole reason I came into law in the first place. And it gave me a platform. And I was like, right, well, that's it. I'm, that's 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 what I want to do. And then I, I did several mini pupillages. And again, I watched barristers in court fight for their defendants or fight for their clients and thought, yeah, do you know what? If if I'm going to be a barrister, I want to be the best. And I, I want my client knowing 
that they are in the best possible hands. And um, that's that's what drew me to the bar. Um, and I think that's that's kind of the mindset now. I want to be the voice for the people who who don't necessarily have a voice. So unfortunately, my my story's not quite as amazing as Laurie Elizabeth and Eleanor's, but that's that's where I am now. And um, I'm really grateful to Grace. They've given me now an option into the bar because I now have the the scholarship, which is such a huge pressure off. I mean, the bar's so expensive. And not only that, I've I've also got a residential scholarship with Grace. So I'm now moving to London where I get to live in Holborn free of charge for next year um, while I do my bar. And it's absolutely fantastic. And I mean, without the support of the Open University and without the support of Grays, um, I probably would still be stuck in a job that I absolutely hate and um, and still see no way out. So, yeah, I'm, I'm eternally grateful and I'm going to make the best of the opportunity. It's so imp- like so impressive and, and and so inspiring that you decided to make that change because it must be really hard coming from um, a career where you're already well established to you know jumping into the unknown really um, like you said juggling work alongside a degree that you don't even know um, you're going to be good at if you if you've been out of education for such a long time as well so I think you're so brave for for doing it and it just goes to show that. Um, if you want something bad enough, there's literally no limit to what you can achieve. And I think I think all three of you are a testament to that. So we've discussed this a little bit already, but studying a law degree alongside working and bringing up children sounds like it would be very challenging. I mean, the law degree is, is challenging enough on its own without that added time pressure. So I wondered if you'd be able to share your top time management tips and let us know how you've stayed motivated all this time. Yeah, so um, like Liam, um, I work as well. Um, I work 25 hours a week alongside study. So it's just, it is is difficult and it's, and it's really, it's really hard. Um, And you do have to work hard, but not only work hard, I believe that you have to work smart. Um, But for me, um, I know that a lot of people differ, but it's actually to have a non-negotiable end goal. So at the start of my degree, whilst um, some of my peers were saying, you know, they're not sure sure where they, um, what their aspirations were or, or where they saw themselves in, you know, the future. For me, it was, um, I, I was clear in my head where I wanted to go. Um, and that's not to say that there may, you know, there may be natural changes along the way, you know, there may be things that crop up or things that don't go so well or things that go, you know, exceed your expectations even. Um, but for me, it's about that focus. And, you know, my sort of motto is is that I will aspire to become a barrister and I will do everything within my power to become a barrister until it is very, very apparent that that's not going to be achievable for me. And you'll either achieve that and I'll either, you know, become a barrister or alternatively, I'm going to just near miss that, no doubt, or I'm going to come, you know, somewhere you know, near to that goal. And for me, that is an achievement within itself. So I think that's, you know, a big thing is have a goal. You know, um, I mean, some people, uh, you know, think about, um, some people talk about manifesting what you um, want in your life. Um, that's not necessarily um, what how I feel, but I think it's a big part 
of my life is is just having that clear direction and then in terms of things that you can just do generally is I diarize everything personally everything that I do I have a big diary I have a lot of highlighters and I love stationery which is very sad um so for me just put everything in a diary that includes appointments study time and family time um and then finally be a doer So for me, you know, if you know that you work best in the mornings, get up early, you know, get up and get ready and start the day early if that's what you need to do to to be proactive. If, you know, you feel that you you work better in the evenings, then you need to adjust your timetable to suit your, um, you know, the way you work well, really. For me, I need a, a solid 10 hours sleep per night. So I tend to get up earlier. And I think it's just about knowing yourself and and what works best for you I think that's great advice um getting organized really does help um, and having that determination as well um yeah I think that's that's fantastic advice um how about you Eleanor yeah so obviously I had the two uh young kids um I I was a bit similar I, I put everything in a diary so I would open up my OU timetable they give you a recommended timetable and then they give you dates that your assignments need to be submitted by so I would sort of say on Monday I'm going to read the OU material on Tuesday I'm going to read the recommended book material on Wednesday I'm going to revise everything I've read and I would make sure that I stick to that and I would try and get a few weeks ahead of where the OU recommended that you should be um, so that when you know my kids inevitably did bring a cold home from nursery I could take that time off to just be a parent, not be a student alongside and make sure that they, you know, they get cared for whilst they're unwell. And also things like you can take little family holidays with them without having to take your laptop and your books. And it gives you that freedom to just kind of take the, take the, uh, take some time for yourself and your family. And you have to stick to it though. That's the big thing. You have to wake up early or go to bed late some days. Some days you are going to be reading until well past the time that you'd normally go to bed, or you're going to have to get up early just to allow yourself that time in the evening. And it's unpleasant at the time, but you have to remind yourself that you're doing this for a reason and you're doing it because you're going to inevitably one day reach your goal. If you put the hours in, you'll get there. And that's that's the important part. You sometimes have to do things that you don't want to do at hours that you don't want to do them, but it will be worth it in the end. That having that end goal in mind is just keeps you going, I suppose. How about you, Liam? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm very similar to to the other two. Um, I think for me, I mean, I didn't have children like the other two, but um, but in my industry, I think most of my working shifts were kind of about 10 a.m. to 11 p.m. Um, you work anywhere kind of between 60 and 80 hours a week. Um, so it's it's quite demanding and it's quite a physical job. Um, and I remember there were several occasions where I would come home from work. I'd get home from work about half past 11. I would study through the night, especially around assignment times. And I can remember on more than three or four occasions kind of working on assignments looking at the clock, realizing it's about nine o'clock in the morning, jumping in the shower and going straight back to work. Um, and it's it's like the other two were alluding to. You just do what you've got to do um, to to make sure that you reach your goal. And it's kind of non-negotiable. There's, there's no kind of, there's not a lot of give. Um, if you choose to work full-time and study full-time, 
Um, it's something that you, you're conscious of when you start and you, you have to take those hits. Um, and I think for me, I keep myself focused by if I had any spare time, I would apply for mini pupillages or I would go to court and, and just as in the public gallery. And it, it, it kind of gave me a real, a real vision of where I wanted to be. I was able to reiterate to myself that that is the person you want to be in the future. You want to be the person standing up in court, advocating on behalf of somebody else who, who without you would stand a far lesser chance of obtaining their goal. And, you know, I, I often said to myself, it doesn't matter what you're born with in life. I think it's it's what you're prepared to give up to reach your goals that really counts and really kind of sets you apart. Um, and I think I think that comes through quite a lot, especially when you're going through like scholarship applications or pupillage applications or mini pupillage applications. A big um, big part of the process is your drive and determination. And I think if you can show that level of drive and determination and you say no matter what obstacles are in my way I am going to achieve it um that's a massive tick um and that's what I did and yeah there are there are several nights now I look, I look back and I think wow I, I cannot believe I actually managed to finish my law degree while while working 60 to 80 hours a week but but I did um and I did a lot of things that many people would say were absolutely crazy but to me they were necessities and I wouldn't be where I am without them. Again, another such inspiring story. Um, but but like you said, um, if you want it bad enough, like you do have to give up sacrifices. But I suppose the message to anyone that's listening really is that um, you can do it. And and in you three are definitely evidence of that. So um, yeah, hopefully we've, we've inspired um, some of the listeners and shown them that it, that it is possible. Um, so I mean, we've spoken about many challenges that that you've all faced um, on your journey so far. But but what do you think has been the biggest challenge, and how did you overcome it or them? Um, I think for me, one of the biggest challenges, which you're not actually taught about, well, I ha- wasn't anyway growing up, has actually been imposter syndrome. Um, and I'm so grateful that as I've sort of settled into sort of um the legal or professional identity of the legal profession anyway um I've sort of realized that a lot of people feel exactly the same way um and it's uh, and it's being talked about more and more and I think that is so important because as I mentioned earlier I never I've I still to this day haven't told a lot of people that I'm doing a law degree or that I've done one or I didn't tell them my legal aspirations because I thought in in all honesty, I thought they'd laugh at me. I thought that they would think, you know, what, Laurie Elizabeth, who I went to school with, or or Laurie, who I've seen down the pub on the weekend, or, or, or do you know what I mean? Not that I'm a bad person, or not that I portray myself in a poor way. Just, I just didn't have that belief in myself that I could, you know, whilst I aspired um, to become a barrister, I, I, it doesn't necessarily mean that you always believe in yourself or you always believe that you can actually reach that, reach that, you know, destination. Um, and for me, it, it was, a, it's a, been a constant battle with that. And I'm under no illusion that it still will be a constant battle. Um, you know, I remember, I remember making BPP advocate of the year, um, 2020, the final, 
And I thought that they, you know, emailed me by mistake, you know, and then, you know, and then you start, you, the grades come in, you're getting good grades and, you know, you, you're winning moots and you're doing things along the way. And whilst, yes, you should be feeling, oh my goodness, okay, I can do this. I am doing this. And you, you really should be sort of um, almost being more and more reassured, which, which I guess in a way I am. Um, you still, that doubt niggles in the back of your mind, you know, I've still got a long way to go. Will I make it? Can I make it? And I think, you know, that's been a big challenge for me. And I don't think it's necessarily an obstacle. I think it's almost an obstacle course. And I think it's something that I will have to work with and work alongside, you know, for the duration of my sort of journey to the bar. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely is one of the biggest challenges that I think anyone going into most professions is going to face. But I feel like in, in the bar, it's a because the bar is sort of this mystical unknown to so many people, it's it's really hard to shake that feeling. You know, you hear all these stories about how every barrister is a you know, an Oxbridge candidate comes from this perfect middle class background. And then there's, you know, you the the daughter of a, a drug addict from a council estate six and you just think who who wants to employ you no one's going to want to employ you and it's something that's really hard to shake and it's only after sort of um interact with with other barristers and solicitors and other students that you realize that's actually not the case anymore there are a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds and you know even most established barristers my mentor for example has been a barrister since he was 18 he's now in his 50s and you know, we law degree from 18 and then he's now in his 50s and he still gets it. He still walks into court and he'll see another barrister that's maybe a little bit more sort of, you know, accomplished than him or a judge that's been, you know, on the circuit just a little bit longer than him. And he kind of, he regresses back to that student panicking just the same as we all do. So it's, it's something that I think most people are going to suffer from throughout their entire career. And you just have to trust in yourself that you are good enough because you know, you received the scholarship or you you got your degree and you're in court now and you're wearing your gown and your wig and you're good enough because you're there. Yeah, I, I just follow, follow, sorry, following on what Eleanor just said, I think it, it's so right. And I think as well, you know, when you come from, you know, a background where you're constantly told that you are a disadvantaged person, essentially, you're constantly told that, you know, there is a stereotype of person that is going to succeed in this career. And being, and when you have no contacts and you've essentially got no hope, then you're, you only back that up with, you know, a state school education or, you know, lack of, you know, great GCSEs and A-levels. You're, you can't, so in life, you are almost taught to subdue your aspirations because you're not good enough. And, you know, I think it's, I remember going on one mini pupillage and, and getting, I was bought, kindly bought a cake and I remember dropping it, like dropping a bit of it. I think I was so nervous to eat a cake. I mean, who is nervous to eat a cake? But because I was sat with a barrister and, and they were watching me and talking to me, I, I was thinking, am I, is this the right cake etiquette? And you start overthinking everything that you're doing because you're trying so hard to fit in. But actually, like Eleanor said, 
when you start speaking to other people that are around you and other, other barristers are thankfully starting to recognize that there needs to be a change you know the the profession needs to welcome into a white into the profession a wide array of people a diverse profession that is what we you know that is what it needs and you know more and more recognition is happening right now and I think that is so important um, and I think it helps people you know I'm, I mean I'm not tarnishing all with the same brush but people like us that have gone to a university such as the Open University which often is surrounded with a lot of stigma it helps people like us achieve and I think that's something quite special. I think you're so right in what you're saying because I, I, I struggle with ex exactly the same thing. I mean, I've turned up at mini pupillages before and um, I've had like prosecution barristers working for the CPS um, telling me to wait outside the courtroom and my barrister will be with me soon um, because they thought that I was a defendant in the case. And I mean, it kind of it kind of really, um, really sums up um, a general perception of, of the bar. But I think it was it was when I spoke to some some barristers from a really great um, criminal set in in London, and um, you know, and like Laurie was saying, it's about the about the stigma attached to the Open University, and 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 yet again, you find yourself in a position where you're almost embarrassed to admit the the university you come from. So not only have you have you spent your whole life kind of embarrassed about the background that you've come from or the fact that you're state educated, then you get to degree level and the same thing occurs where you're you're embarrassed again to tell people about the the, the university you went to, even though the degrees are absolutely the same. You come out with an LLB of law, exactly the same as at every other university. There's that stigma. And it was when I spoke to these barristers in London that they were like, your story is so unique and the life experiences that you have compared to a 20-year-old coming straight out of university who have, who's followed the what would be classed as the standard pathway of education or the standard route to the bar, you have so much life experience that you can bring to the bar. Um, and that's what you need to focus on. And I remember one of them turning around to me and saying, somebody in your position with the with the life skills that you have, it's a question of when you get pupillage, not if you get pupillage. And she said, remember that when people come out of, of university and they've come through the traditional route and they're at 20 years of age, their CV only contains a certain number of things. And it's those certain number of things that are on every single person's CV of that age because they've all followed the same pathway. And it really got me thinking. And I think this is one of the reasons why I, I managed to get a scholarship at, at, with, um, with Grace because it made me think about what I've achieved in my life and the skill set that I already possess. And it's, it's very easy for people like us in our situation to always think about the negative side of things and always think, well, you know, I come from an underprivileged background, I come from state school, I go to the open university, without actually focusing on the positives. And when I took a step back and reflected and said, right, okay, you, well, you've been a head chef for eight years. So you have leadership skills, you have communication skills, you have the ability to work under pressure. Um, you have a have the ability to manage an extremely heavy workload, especially when you add a degree on top of that. And all of a sudden, you start writing these things down. 
And you start believing in yourself and you think, well, actually, okay, I didn't come from a traditional background, but actually that's going to be what inevitably sets me apart from what must be such a replicated CV for people who do graduate from a traditional route that I've chosen to focus on that. And I've kind of dropped all the stigma surrounding my pathway and my background and my history and, and where I grew up and where I come from. And actually focus on the things that really set me apart i think i think sometimes you turn up at uh, a chambers or you turn up in court and your greatest desire is to fit in um because you want to fit in as the typical law student you want to fit in as the typical barrister you want to fit in in that environment and and not look like you're you're out of your depth or that you don't belong there when in actual fact it should be the complete opposite Everything that makes you stand out and everything that makes you unique is what's going to make you a great barrister. And I think that is what I would would say to the listeners. Think about what makes you unique, because they will have thousands and thousands of applications and CVs that all look the same. And you need one that stands out, grabs their attention and says, "Okay, I didn't come from that background, but I am great because of this. And I think that would be my greatest advice to anybody listening to this. Before we get into the second half of the episode, I'd like to take this opportunity to talk about the sponsors of today's show and the law school that I chose to study my LPC at, and that's the University of Law. The University of Law believes in training students for the real world from the moment they accept a place. Their experienced career service and award-winning pro bono clinics offer students the chance to get real-life experience from the start. They offer a range of postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students advance at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment-focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. To find out more about the courses on offer, click the link in the description box of the podcast. Um, I think mindset is so important. And because like you said, um, you maybe started off thinking that your differences were, were a weakness, but actually they're a strength. But you just have to have the confidence to position your position your transferable skills in, the, in that way and you will stand out. So I think, I think that's a really important message to share. Um, and I think it's really good that people are talking more about um, imposter syndrome because um, like we said at the beginning, it is something that most people do suffer with. And I think if you don't know, if you can't recognize that, that that's what you're feeling and those are the doubts that, that you're feeling, then then you, you can end up like not taking action. But I think recognizing that it is just imposter syndrome that's telling you, you know, X, Y, Z, and, and, and you can do it. And I think, yeah, just goes back to what I said, mindset is just the most important thing. Okay, so uh, I'd love to maybe um, explore a bit more about the scholarships that that we've spoken about. Um, I wonder if you could tell the listeners more about the scholarships that you've received and how these scholarships will help you to achieve your goals to becoming barristers. So for me, I received um, the Baroness Hale of Richmond Scholarship. Um, which is um, one of the most, well, it is the most prestigious scholarship that Grey's Inn offers. Um, And I have to say that I didn't even realise that this scholarship existed before I was awarded it. 
um, I did not expect to receive a scholarship in a million years, let alone, you know, this sort of scholarship, you know, sort of scholarship. It's just huge. Um, And for me, um, uh, it's meant that I can do the bar course full time rather than part time. Um, So I'm going to start that in September and do that over the eight months rather than the two years. Um, and it also means that I can actually leave work to be able to do that and just to focus on it. Um, so, yeah, that's um, uh, the scholarship that I was awarded. Um, I was awarded the Cynthia Terry Scholarship by Grozin. So it's a total of uh, £5,000. Um, and it means that uh, my commute, again, is huge. It's another it's either an hour and 10 minute car drive or a half hour car drive and an hour's train journey so it's it's just and it's expensive um so it means that I don't have to worry about getting to and from university for the whole year um and then I was also awarded the Northumbria Bar Course Scholarship which waived my BPTC fees in their entirety um which I mean I can't even begin to to sort of put into words what that means it means like I don't have to work I don't have to worry about my kids for the year I can just for the first time since my kids were born, I can just kind of focus entirely on my education and get to where I want to be to sort of secure their future. Um, so I'm, I mean, I'm eternally grateful to Great Northumbria, and I nearly didn't apply for either. I don't know about you know Laurie Elizabeth and Liam, but when you go through the information on the websites about how to apply for scholarships, when you have to apply, what you have to do before you apply, it was so overwhelming and sort of terrifying that you had to go against this panel and my panel had um you know barristers and judges on it and I didn't want to go in front of barristers and judges and sort of try and convince them that I was worthy of this scholarship I thought there's no there's no chance for me so I almost didn't apply and it was only after being sort of persuaded by my dad that you know if you you don't apply you're never going to get one that I went for it and and here I am with two of them I completely sympathise with that, Eleanor. I, I was the same. Um, and I think it all relates back to the, the imposter syndrome that, that Laurie brought up, where you think, well, I, I don't really belong there. And what 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 am I doing applying for scholarships? But I did. And, and, and at the time, it seemed like yet another application to fill out while you're doing um, assignments at, at uni, while you're still working, while you've got so much going on. And it's it's very easy to think, oh, maybe I won't do that. But um, like Eleanor, now I'm, I'm sat here with, with two scholarships. Um, so I got awarded the Wilfred Watson Scholarship from, from Grace, which is the financial award. And the financial award has been so great that, like Laurie, I can give up work now. I can do my, um, I can do my bar course full time. And it just means everything. Like having, having worked so hard for three years, it's just a, such a, a breath of fresh air that that these barristers and 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 members of Grace have come together and thought, hey, this person deserves um, deserves financial support from us, and b the fact that the award was was so significant that it has completely changed my life. It has completely changed the the way that I planned on on studying the bar. Um, I'd always wanted to do it full time because I wanted to get there as quickly as possible. But the reality is that I wouldn't have been able to because I'd still need to work. So it's certainly made life 100% easier. And then secondly, I was awarded 
uh, a residential scholarship at Grays. So to actually live at Grays Inn for the next year, um, I think I move in on the 1st of September and to be right in the heart of legal London um, is it's just completely surreal. Um, I was up at Grays last week to have a little wander around. I just couldn't believe the the luck. Um, about a four minute walk from Covent Garden. You know, you're just up from the Thames. Um, you know, Westminster's around the corner. It's just fantastic, and just walking from Grays to the to stand outside the Old Bailey as well. Um, it might be a little cliche, but it it, it kind of it kind of got a bit emotional to kind of look at the journey that I've been on and stand outside the old Bailey and be like, right, I'm, I'm nearly here. I'm that I'm nearly here on my, on my own. And yeah, so it's fantastic. Um, and I cannot thank Grays enough, um, for the support that they've shown. And like Eleanor, I, I was so close to not applying. And then I got through, through the interview process I knew I'd been awarded a, a, a financial scholarship, and was, and then every um, financial scholar is is able to apply for a residential scholarship. And then again, at that stage, I nearly didn't apply again um, because I definitely thought, well, no, I mean, you know, living at Grace, that's definitely not somewhere where I belong. But the the reality is that I've worked for it, and I've worked really hard for it, and I do belong. Um, even if I didn't come from the same background, I worked hard enough to get get my place there. A huge congratulations again to all three of you um, for for being awarded those scholarships. Um, and I just wondered, how did you actually find out about the scholarships that were available? Because I remember my time back at university, which was quite some time ago now, but um, I don't remember scholarships being that widely advertised and you know it's my own fault I didn't really do any research so I didn't really know about them but um I just wondered how you guys came across them I think this is kind of my bugbear about the open university really I think I think Laurie and Eleanor will both attest to this that there there is no information about scholarships given by by the OU um I don't think there's any information given about mini pupillages or all these other kind of like situations that you're going to find yourselves in that that are really really important um for me it was the fact that i i'd been to court and i knew that i wanted to be a barrister and then as soon as you start researching um about being a barrister that's when it all comes up about the ins of court and um, the four ins and all the information about that and the btc or the bpc or whatever course you're doing for your for your bar year all that information and then the funding because i'm sure i'm sure like me the other two clicked on the bpc that um which is the course that we need to complete the vocational course and saw the the um the fees and it's about 16 and a half thousand pounds for the year um <laughs> which is astronomical and then that kind of leads you down the pathway of, of finding out about scholarships but i think for me certainly it was all individual research and there was very very little information actually i say very little information that's being kind um there was zero information from university you kind of have to go out and find these things for yourself yeah for me for me it's similar to liam um i think my first you know point is is research I did a lot of research 
And again, I don't know whether that comes from my particular circumstance or or what that or just being nosy or what that comes from. But for me, I simply knew that I couldn't afford the fees. Um, so I needed to look at ways in which I could. So I um, and luckily as well, I mean, we're in, the, you know, where we are right now with the pandemic and everything like that in some ways that's helped um, actually raise awareness of things like scholarships because a lot more people uh, barristers and inns have been doing online recordings and zooms um, that actually talk about um, funding and scholarships and you know and a variety of other things that we've all you know we all know now that there's zooms about everything nowadays Um, and I think that really helped to you know almost broaden my knowledge of scholarships um also you know for me I had found out that you could get student finance if you did a master's alongside a bar course um and for me that was something that before I got the scholarship that I was going to do so I had already saved up the difference between the bar course foot fee and the student loan um because it doesn't quite cover it um when you do the master's so for me, I was already going to make it happen, whether I got the scholarship or not. But it was just about looking for ways that I could alleviate that worry. Um, and obviously, as a mature student coming to the bar um, later in life, albeit I appreciate that I'm only nearly 30, um, but it, it is still later than a lot of other people. I wanted to do it as quickly as possible. And also, I attended um, the Grazian Advocacy Day back in 2019. So it was in my first year of study. Um, you have to do like an application form process. Um, and it, you, you sort of apply to go to this Advocacy Day. Oh, and it was from that moment that I just knew that Grays was where I wanted to be. I'd even said to friends, you know, I don't care whether I, you know, get scholarship in the future or, you know, even on this occasion, had I not got scholarship, I would have still joined Grey's Inn. It's just, I don't know, you could say it was a good feeling or, or or something like that. It was just, it made me feel, you know, warm and fuzzy inside. I mean, I'm not sure I should admit that on the podcast, but, you know, that's how I felt being in Grey's. Um, I had looked into the other inns as well, and I just felt that, you know, for me, Grey's really promotes diversity and, you know, and that inclusive um, feel um, everything that I've come across has been you know inclusive and and sort of promoting you know ad- addressing the gender imbalance and you know and a, lo- and a variety of other you know issues there are within the you know the bar and the judiciary let's say um, and that was important for me and also Greys are a very small knit community so again that was something that I wanted um, and so for me Greys was just you know a natural sort of instinct for me and you know and as the other two have said I'm just you know eternally grateful to Grayson for making you know these legal aspirations possible and for giving me the opportunity that you know I've, I've never had before. For me um, slightly different both of my mentors um, actually belong to Grays in so it was kind of always just going to be the one that I went to. Um, I looked around on their website and um, you know again they they do uh, place a lot of importance on diversity and inclusivity and um, in, one of my mentors comes from a, a very working class background just like me so I thought if if they can make it in Grays then I can probably make it too. Um, unlike Laurie Elizabeth though I applied for my BPTC with my master's degree 
before I found out I was getting a scholarship. So it was the only way I could have afforded it as well to get the student finance. So I applied, I got my spot. And then I found out I was getting a scholarship and I maybe shouldn't admit it, but if I knew I was going to get the scholarship, I absolutely would not have put the master's degree in there as well because it's just more work to do. But um, now I've kind of talked myself around. Is it to too late? Excited to... <laughs> yeah, it's too late now. So I, my, my Northumbria Bar scholarship has been awarded on the basis that I do it with my master's. But they do, Northumbria do a great uh, thing that you don't have to do your dissertation, like your master's dissertation. You can work in the law office and you can sort of use your practical um, experience gained to, to do your master's degree. So once I found that out, really excited. And as for finding out about the scholarships, yeah, I think if I hadn't have had two mentors that were like were part of Grace, I don't think I would have ever found out about them. The OU, yeah, didn't necessarily tell us that they were a thing. Northumbria were very good admittedly Northumbria were very good as soon as you applied for Northumbria and you got your spot they emailed you and they said here is information on how to apply for a scholarship and the admissions officer kind of personally emails you and says you should go for it he says like to everyone but he makes sure that everyone knows that they're available but um yeah without having two mentors at Grey's I, I don't think I would have known about the Grey's Inns one yeah I think you're right about the the masters as well I mean I bet I, th- I think that for me that was the only way that I thought I could I could get in, but now it's almost it's almost a, a, a thing now with with doing the masters at the same time as the bar. I kind of want to I kind of want to achieve every single thing that's possible. <laughs> I don't I don't I'm know exactly how the other the same exactly the same. Yeah. I thought if I'm it's doing bar course, get a masters as well. Exactly. So I was like, right, well, now I've got a law degree. Didn't think I was going to get that. Now I'm enrolled on the bar course and I didn't think I was going to get that. Well, why not just go for all three and get a master's of law as well? Uh, So that's kind of me just just being greedy and thinking, yeah, I want to I want to get absolutely all of them. And I know the other two have touched on grades. I mean, for me, grades from the moment I walked into Greats, I knew that that was the place I was going to be. And I've been to Lincoln's and I've been to Inner Temple and I've been to Middle Temple. Um, when I went to Greats, I actually went on one of the the open days and I actually got a private tour and I walked around with two people from the education department and they explained everything and they explained how they were the smallest in, which meant that, you know, if you when you get assigned a mentor from the inn, it will be one to one um, rather than like two to one at Lincoln's, for example, which are the is, is the largest or three to one in some cases. And for me as well, because the application for Grace was a written application followed by an oral um, interview. And for example, the two temples, they interview everybody for scholarships. I really wanted my scholarship, if I got one, to mean something. I really wanted to know that I had a chance of becoming a barrister, that I could pitch myself against all these people coming from Oxbridge and coming from the traditional route. And so not only did I feel so happy and at home at Grey's, I really wanted to kind of test myself against the best by putting myself through through a two-stage process. And not only that, because Grays is the smallest in now, everybody looks at Grays and says, well, they only all um, award £1.3 million worth of scholarships a year compared to, say, Lincoln's that orders one um, that, you, that has about £1.8 But it means that 
everybody at Gray's gets a scholarship that's really kind of meaningful, a, a scholarship that's going to make a difference. I think the lowest award you can get from Gray's is is five thousand. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure with the, with the other ins, it's about 1,000. So the, the ones from Grays really mean the most. And it truly is a two-stage process and a two-stage test. And it pitches you against the, the best of the best. And it, it, it kind of sifts people out at various stages. And so for me, um, that's what I wanted. I wanted to make sure that if I got through, it was because I thoroughly deserved it. And also, I knew that whatever award I got was going to make a significant difference to my life. So it's obviously very competitive um, to get these scholarships. Um, how did you go about writing a uh, scholarship application that, that was successful? And, and what, are your, what are your top tips for writing a winning scholarship application? So for me, it was um, well, a lot of the questions are competency based. So I knew that up. I knew that I lacked the sort of um, the grades, essentially, because one thing that's made clear with all of the ins that you do receive a scholarship on merit. So obviously, when you are mindful already that that merit potentially isn't as great as, you know, somebody else's, you know, the academic grades anyway, um, I feel that you almost have to um, flourish in other areas, potentially. Um, so one thing that comes with age, I guess, is life experience. And that was something that I knew I could get across in my application form. So I think it's about knowing your strong points. And that may not be a lot of life experience, but that might that might be fantastic grades. Whatever your selling point is, you need to push that really and almost present this 360, um, you know, all round, you know, application essentially that puts you at your best foot forward um a lot of the questions are competency based so for me set the scene so what happened what you did and what skills you utilized to make that happen and then and then at the end what did you learn or how will this help you become a great advocate you know that's what I was doing with each of my questions um to sort of you know show them that show the people that were looking at my application form that yes whilst I you know had a situation which you know needed I don't know lateral thinking or time management or qualities of a barrister always show an evidence uh, you know what you did and how you did it and then sort of it's almost like you know the critical uh, analysis or reflective thinking that you do at university you know you always talk about what you learn and what you're going to do moving forward. And I think that's really crucial for the application form. Um, and then be honest. In fact, I think I was brutally honest in my application form. You know, I've had uh, family members even say to me, Laurie, you know, do you really think that you should put that in your application form? I mean, prior to this, you know, me talking today, you think, should should you really bear all? You know, is it the appropriate setting for you to tell people what's and all your life story? You know, maybe not. But as Liam said earlier, be yourself, be true to your identity. This is me, you know, and nothing's going to change that. I can only be me, the best version of myself, not anybody else. I'm not trying to fit into somebody else's you know, um application or or lifestyle or or whatever. 
And I think that's so important that you have to be honest in your applications because essentially you are going to get quizzed on them potentially. They are going to, you know, you also do need to make sure that you are, um, you know, looking uh, hopefully like a personable, you know, person that can get on with a wide variety of people, however, yet still can remain credible, you know, in front of lay clients or solicitors or, or whoever it may be. Um, I think as well, in terms of addressing the poor grades, I filled in the extenuating circumstances section. There are some people that would argue not to. Well, I did. I thought that would be a perfect opportunity for me to be able to explain why I got poor grades. And however, I may have got grades that weren't, you know, A stars or they weren't ideal. However, I got them because of X, Y and Z. And yes, whilst I did get them, I never let them deter me. And, you know, moving forward, here I am still in the same position that a lot of other people are in that that did excel at school. And that's because of the hard work and because of the life experience, which I obviously made sure that I got into that application form. And then finally, think very carefully about your references. I had, personally, I had um, a work reference who is is the director of a law law firm. And I had um, a senior lecturer of law do my references and be organised with your references. Make sure, um, I can only talk about grades, but they have um, a reference portal so once you put, put your references in, in, it sends them an email directly and they reply from that email. So I actually did that right at the start of my application process, way before I'd finished um, my application form and I was ready to submit. And this way it gave my referees a really long time to really sit and think about what they wanted to say um, and also just didn't rush them. Um, so I think... Um, I, I've never read my refer my references, so I have no idea what they said. I I hope they, and presume they were positive, but really think about those because they are considered and, and grades do put um, weight on those um, references. So obviously, just be mindful of that. And I think they're probably my top tips. Yeah, I think um, when I wrote my first attempt at my scholarship application, I tried to sort of be this perfect on paper law person I was like I got these grades and I have worked in this field and I have done this and when I finished and I kind of looked at my application it it didn't really reflect who I was or anything that I was proud of in my life so I wasn't particularly proud of the places that I'd worked because I just worked there because it was a salary and it was what I needed to survive but I kind of missed out the the things that I'd overcome and the things that I've achieved so I initially I didn't even mention that I had children because I thought well that's going to be a disadvantage and I spoke to um, a couple of barristers that had children and they said well why don't you mention that you have them and use them um as a scenario where you've overcome a difficult like difficulty or you've dealt with vulnerable people because there's nothing more vulnerable than a child especially a newborn studying your degree with them and I'd kind of airbrushed everything out that made me an individual and I was so scared that putting these things in would make it oh look at her with her poor background and single mum and all that stigma attached to everything that kind of came with me I was so scared of putting that in because of that stigma that I'd kind of erased myself as a person and when I rewrote it to be a much more honest reflection of who I was it looked more impressive I have overcome things I've achieved things and look at me now I'm here and I'm applying for a scholarship at Gray's Inn and I think that's something that you know 
need to be taken on board. If you've overcome something or you've worked somewhere that's impressive or like Liam, you've worked these stupidly long hours and you've still managed to get your degree, put that in. Make sure that they know that that's who you are because that makes you an individual over people that haven't had to do that. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I can't put it any better than the other two have just put it. I think for me, it was really uh, a case of getting across who I was and the reason why I'm great and the reason why I'm going to succeed at the bar. Um, and yeah, I, I, I can't say any more than the other two have said other than be yourself, be completely honest. And, you know, as I, as I said earlier, look at the life skills that you've developed um, throughout your life. Look at the ones that are directly relatable to the bar and put them across. And there's nothing to be ashamed of and, and nothing to be embarrassed of. Um, and I think, like Eleanor just said, the things that that you don't necessarily initially want people to, to, to know about you in the first place are actually the essential things that they need to know about you because that's what's going to make you succeed. Um, so, yeah, that's all I would add to what the other two have so eloquently put. If I can just add as well, quickly, for a lot of applications, they're not necessarily looking at, you know, the things that you've achieved academically. That For the scholarship, especially the, like the Northumbria scholarship, they're looking at who would we want to have to deal with on a daily basis in the university. So they had to look at every person and think, who do we want to talk to every day at the university so make sure that you come across as someone that is quite affable and someone that's easy to get along with because ultimately that's a part of what they're looking for who are you to deal with yeah and I think another thing that's really kind of relevant to the application is if you actually go on the Grace website and you watch the video about the application process I think they quite clearly state that it's it's easy to see from your academic record um, your academic ability. So that's not particularly what they're looking for in the in your scholarship applications or, or your interview. Um, they can see that already. They can see that from the grades that you've submitted. What they really want is, are you a person who is going to succeed at the bar? What's your personality? What drives you? And, and what's going to make you successful? And I think, yeah, just just be yourself and be the person that you know will be successful at the bar and show them. And that's that's the most important thing, getting that message across. Thank you so much for sharing all of that great advice. I'm sure that will really help the listeners. So what was the interview process like for these scholarships and how did you actually prepare for the interviews? So for me, it was actually such a, a great process um, I think Eleanor touched upon it before that um, Greys um, actually send you the bio for the panel before your interview. Um, that is a that is a very panicking moment. Um, you look at who is part of your panel. I mean, ours this year was on Zoom, so it it was obviously remote, and. Um, they send you this panel bio and oh my goodness, they tell you who is, you know, who forms part of it. And I had these, this, uh, an EU lawyer. I had, you know, uh, a, a lawyer from the Crown Prosecution Service. You know, you have all these wonderful people that make up your panel. And at that point, I think it's it's quite clear to say that I was panicking. Um, 
you know, thinking, oh my goodness, how on earth am I going to portray a, you know, a lawyer to the, you know, to the, this panel essentially. And, um, and I think, again, it goes back to being yourself. Um, you know, don't be fooled when I said that my your scholarship interview was a really great process. It was, but it, it was very nerve wracking. Um, to help combat this, what I did was um, I actually joined Twitter, legal Twitter, or you know, however we have come to know it, um, a week before my scholarship interviews. And I sort of panicked and said, you know, to a friend that was quite established on Twitter, you know, please help me out. I'm going to write a tweet and share it, please, so that I can hopefully get some mock interviews before my actual real interviews. Um, and everybody was lovely. People, you know, offered their help in an abundance. I think I had seven mock interviews in the end. And some days I had four in one day um, of other barristers, of, of, of people that had done their, done their scholarship interviews of their own before. Um, and it was really the help of other people that, you know, helped me to feel so, um, you know, composed really and and you know, calm essentially on the interview day. Well, outwardly in a way, because obviously I was panicking on the inside. And I think it really helped to build my confidence. And the reality of it is, is there are only so many questions that you can be asked. Uh, you know, you obviously will hopefully know your application form inside out because you wrote it and hopefully spent a long time on it. Um, so for me, that wasn't necessarily a worry. It was more the um, potential competency-based questions or the curveball questions you know some of us worry if they're going to ask us what sort of biscuit we're going to be or something like that and I think it was just having that those mock interviews really really helped and I'm you know I'm so grateful for those people that offered their time to help me um, and then as I've said it was remote um, and Gray's their interview process they, they give you the ability to log in 20 minutes before your interview time um, and choose from two questions um, that you are going to argue a stance, so either you know for or against. And um, for me, I personally always prepare an argument for and against, so that if they do that cheeky little curveball, you know, in the middle of that interview where they say, you know, let's flip it on the head, you know, what would you argue for the other side? Which actually they did in my interview. Um, you've all you've already got that sort of bullet point you know, draft of where you can go to and you, you, you've got some sort of thought process um, already outlined there. Um, again, uh, you know, look for the part, look the part. So, you know, whilst I appreciate that a lot of people when they've been doing Zoom interviews or, you know, even court hearings, we've seen people are in, you know, their pyjamas on the bottom and suit top <laughs> on the top. I think for me, it's, you know, really look the part that day. I, you know, put a suit on. I, I acted as if I was going to be, you know, going to graze in person. I think, I think that really helps you feel the part as well. It makes you feel more confident. Do your hair, you know, do your makeup if that's what you like to do. Do whatever it is that helps you get in the zone and makes you feel as, you know, as confident as possible under the circumstances. And then I know it sounds really sad, but I listen to <laughs> to motivational speeches. So um, if you, ask, for example, if you ask Alexa, God, I hope she doesn't come on now, but if you ask her to, to 
tell you a motivational speech, you will. Um, it is the same one over and over again, but it's, you know, it's just a two minute one and it really gets me in the zone or there's, there's plenty on YouTube or listen to something that you find inspiring um, just before you go in. And that's what I did all morning. And again, batting back to the whole imposter syndrome, we all feel it sometimes. Tell yourself that you can do it. If that means you looking in the mirror, you know, before you're about to go into the interview, telling yourself that you can do it, you know, affirming that, you know, this is what you want and you are just as worthy as any other candidate, if not more worthy, you know, you can, you just tell yourself over and over again, you can do it. And I think, you know, simple things like that just make you feel, uh, I don't know, much better or much more confident. And I think that's how you need to come across in an interview like that. You need to come across confident, but at the same time, personable. You know, I always think to myself, whilst, yes, I do want to be, you know, that professional looking person, that person that, you know, appears seamless and and like they've got everything, you know, intact, you know, their life's perfect almost. That's sort of the, you know, persona that you want to display. You also want to be that person that that, you know, that the person interviewing you could go for lunch with or that could talk to, you know, and and have a conversation with without feeling that that they are, you know, I don't know, that they may get on with you. That's what that's what I wanted to sort of get across anyway, that I'm a real person. And that, you know what, in the future, if I'm lucky enough to to be able to advocate for lay clients, that they are going to have that faith in me, that they are going to be able to approach me and they are going that I'm going to be credible both in front of them and you know in front of judges or or instructing solicitors and so forth so I think it's just about being that all-round person um I mean obviously be genuine to yourself if you're not a personable person or you're not very outgoing don't try and be something that you're not but I think for me the biggest interview you know tip is just is literally just be you and be comfortable being you yeah, I think um, <clears throat> kind of touches on a really important point. As much as you want to be like the most interesting and the most amazing person on your application process and in your form, don't lie on your form. If you're not into opera, don't say you're into opera because they'll ask you. So I, you know, I told the truth. I said, oh, I'm, I'm really into uh, I'm really into cricket. And that was one of the questions. And it was name two of your favorite cricketers. They weren't necessarily trying to catch me out but they were trying to make sure that I had told the truth on my form. And it's a big thing. And it's, it, it catches people out every year. People saying that really into art, really into the theatre, they're going to ask you about it. And they're going to make sure that that is a true reflection of who you are as a person. And don't be afraid to, in your interview, I didn't understand one of the questions that they asked me. He used like a thousand words that I just had never heard before. And I panicked and I thought I can either try and, waffle off an answer here and hope for the best or I'll just say to him I'm sorry actually I don't understand the question and I did and you know I think it, it, it works in your favor you're not a perfect person you're not you're not infallible just say I don't know and also don't be afraid to just take a minute to think of your answer if you, if you need so they asked me um which three people would you have at a dinner party dead or alive and I thought of the first two very quickly, massively, massively overshared about a tattoo that I have about one of the, the guests I would have had um, and then really needed to think of the third. And it was a very unusual mix. I had Rick Mail and Elizabeth I at my dinner table. So 
an unusual answer. But I think the thing really that, that is so important to remember is that they're not trying to trick you. They're not trying to make you fail. You know, most of those judges and barristers and solicitors on that panel, they want you to succeed. They see this person trying their best and they see this person at the start of their legal journey and they remember what it's like to be that person. And they're not trying to, you know, embarrass you or make you feel stupid or make you feel like you're not good enough. Most of the time, they are rooting for you. So don't be afraid to be a little bit vulnerable in front of them and say, I don't know, or I need a minute because they'll respect you for it. They respect the fact that, you know, this is terrifying. You're at, for a lot of us, it was the first very sort of serious legal interview that we'd ever done. And they know that. So they're trying to make you look ridiculous. They're there to help you. They're there to support you. And ultimately just be the person that you're going to be when you're at the bar. Yeah, I, I think it, I think it's very true. Um, just be yourself. Fun, funnily enough, I think before my before my first crazy interview, I was actually really calm. I, I actually felt um, I I don't know why I just wasn't nervous at all until I got into that Zoom call and the um, the two questions that we had to choose from popped up on the screen, and all of a sudden, <laughs> absolute calmness turned into blind panic. Um, and I think it was, yeah, just the just this the magnitude of the situation hits you. Um, but I found that I, I found the interview thoroughly enjoyable. I think I think you can see in the barristers and judges' faces who are who are interviewing you that they genuinely want you to succeed. Um, it, for me, it was actually the second interview for my for my residential scholarship that was the harder um, because in that one. I think it, there were more questions that were probing and they were almost trying to not so much trip you up, but to find out who you are. And we later found out once we got residential scholarships that the first, the first scholarships, the financial scholarships are awarded on merit and your drive and determination and um, how well suited they think you are to the bar. The second ones for the residential scholarship are on do they want you to be at the inn all day, every day, and what can you contribute to the inn? And like Eleanor said, don't um, don't put things in that are going to trip you up and think very carefully about your questions. I had one, um, I'd been working on W360 on a pro bono um, case at the time of the of the interview and they they asked me in the interview if I was doing any pro bono work and I, I said I was and I said that I was working on this pro bono case through the university and then they asked me about the case and what it was about and you know who the who the people of the case were and then I realized at that moment that I'd signed a, a confidentiality agreement with the Open University and and that's how I answered and I said I'm you know I'm really sorry I can't talk about the case because I've signed a confidentiality agreement and it was th- and those are the kind of tests that they're looking for is do you have the character when you have so much on the line I mean it would have been so easy to just blur off like yes this is the defendant and this is what he's done and this is what the appeal is and this is um, it would be so easy to give away all that information because you feel like it's going to progress your career when actually they're testing your integrity and they're looking at how well suited to the bar you are from that, that point of view. Can you remain confidential under, under 
serious pressure that's going to affect your life. And I was able to do that. And I think it that was such a big learning curve for me. To, and when they re- revealed that it's, yeah, it, this was to test the kind of person that we want at the bar uh, to, to be at grades. And then the fact that I work with the independent monitoring board with the, with the prisons and Grays run a program called Vocalize where um, students go in and work with prisoners. I think it's at Brixton prison and kind of give them um, debating lessons and give them a way to express themselves and a voice. Um, so I could relate directly to that. And then they have a thing called Griffin law where students again go into schools and inner city schools and, teach advocacy to to children who aspire to be at the bar and once again I came from a state school and I also as part of my my career I work on every other Sunday with um, girls who have eating disorders and I teach them about food and I teach them how to cook and how how great and nutritious food is so yet again it was just focusing on skills which I already had that I could bring across and made them think yeah actually we we want this guy to be around he's going to be pretty useful um and that was without ever going into my school background or what I did for GCSEs or what I did for A-levels and I think it is really important just to be the person that you are sell the person you are because it might be exactly what they're looking for Brilliant advice. I mean, I think it's quite easy sometimes to to fall into the uh, trap, really, of thinking, oh, the, you know, I need to portray a certain uh, sort of, you know, give cookie cutter kind of answers that maybe hundreds of other people would give. But it's actually your unique stories that make you you. Um, and again, I think it goes back to having the confidence to actually um, to to share those and and to to not think, oh, because I've um, not follow the traditional path it's a weakness no it's it's a strength it's just yeah getting to to step into that if there's anyone listening today who might be thinking about a career at the bar and maybe going to university to study full or part-time alongside other commitments um, but might be sort of unsure about whether it's whether they should what advice would you give to them I think for me I mean it is hard um you know that goes without saying but uh, you know isn't everything worth having hard and I know that's a bit of a cliche but the reality of it is is I feel that you know it gives you a sort of grit and determination that other people may not you know appreciate or have also it is a talking point as well you know you've you've done so much alongside your degree or or you know it shows that you've got great time management skills as Liam said earlier they're they're these transferable skills that, you know, chambers or, or uh, you know, even if you don't wish to become a barrister, that other um, professions look for, you know, that, and that's key. Um, time management is crucial uh, for me in a way. Um, use a diary, jot down personal family time and things like that. There will be occasions that you probably won't be able to, you know, make that you know, family barbecue, or or you might have to sort of neglect a family event, let's say, or or something like that. But I think every all of that is just temporary. This is the rest of your life potentially. I think you've also, in the same breath, you've got to make sure that you don't, 
you know, stop living, you've got to make sure that you're still enjoying life and you're still enjoying the journey to the bar rather than just focusing on that destination and neglecting everything else that happens within your life. You know, we all have poorly children. We all have, you know, demanding jobs. We all have things that go on within our lives that make life you know, not perfect, they make life difficult, you know, things happen that you don't expect, your washing machine breaks, you get a diagnosis, you know, there are a variety of things that happen in life, which make life hard. But I think, you know, you've just got to utilize that and, you know, give it the, let that propel you into your future and and spur you on rather than deter you, you know, in in the face of fear, you know, push forward and, 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 and work, super hard and super smart you know in everything that you do strive for excellence you know whether that's whether you consider excellence to be you know a 2-2 a 2-1 a first class whatever you consider excellence for you just strive for that you know really try and excel in everything that you do um connections Use social media to your advantage. We live in an age where everything is plastered on social media, be it good or be it bad. You know, use LinkedIn, use legal Twitter, use Instagram, other avenues to be able to, you know, get your face out there, get your name out there, essentially build a brand, um, you know, which will help you hopefully in the future. Uh, If you do that successfully, People will want to help you. People will ask you for advice. People will will want you to talk, you know, on their Zoom calls. You know, for me, when lockdown happened, you know, it was a new era, essentially. Nobody knew what was going on. It was a new sort of way of working. For me, you know, when opportunities lacked, I decided to create um competitions internationally for students over zoom you know this was very early on in the pandemic utilize whatever you know negative you can or whatever you know steps in the way of of your goal use it to your advantage or think of ways around that and to work with it focus on your whys as well you know in terms of you know advice for people you know pursuing a career alongside many of the things that they've got going on why are you doing this? You know, is it, is it your children? Is it, you know, for personal progression, development, growth, whatever it is, whatever your why is, utilize that to, you know, to move forward with your goals. When you're sitting there looking at a TMA or an essay, or you're in an exam and you feel that right now it's hopeless and you just, you feel like giving up, think about your why and, you know, put on that motivational speech, do whatever it is that makes you reassess um, the situation that you're in and just think, you know, I can do this. And I think that goes with, you know, have fun as well. Don't always rush to your destination. Appreciate the journey along the way. Appreciate that, you know, some days are hard. Some days you do need to just put it aside and, and do something else just to regain, you know, your thoughts or composure. You're not always going to be perfect, but accept that, you know, that's okay as well. Um, And I think, you know, be kind to yourself in the same breath, believe in yourself and back yourself. If you are putting in the hard work, you know, you you remain focused, you will get there one way or another. And I think, you know, it might not necessarily be exactly where you want it to be, but even if you get near that, you still have achieved. And I think that's so important you know, just to 
remember how far you've come. Yes, you might have far to go, but just remain focused and and you will get there. Back yourself. Yeah, um, similar vein, really. You know, I mean, we, we've spent a lot of time saying that we're not perfect Oxbridge candidates. If you are, the, you know, an Oxbridge candidate, you're just as worthy of the bar as, as we are. You know, everyone is worthy if you have that passion and that drive. But just if you want to apply for your law degree or you want to apply to the bar or you want to apply to a scholarship, do it. Because trust me, 20, how old am I now? 27 years ago, there was a baby born, you know, to a drug addict mother and uh, thrown into a life of homelessness and chaos. And half of the teachers that ever taught me absolutely would not have thought that I'd be here today. And I didn't think I'd be here today. And as much as, you know, my dad loves me and he's the biggest person in my life, bar none, you know, he didn't necessarily think I'd get here today because it was all stacked up against me. I, I kind of wasn't meant to, to succeed, but I did. And I succeeded through my own hard work and my own dedication, a little bit of luck, but a lot of patience and perseverance and hard work. Long, long hours went into my degree. There were times where I was breastfeeding a baby on a Zoom meeting whilst trying to revise and it was chaos and it was hard and it was tiring. And there were a lot of times where I used to just sob over my law books thinking, I can't do this. I'm not smart enough. I'm not clever enough. I don't have enough time. And here I am. You know, I'm in receipt of two of the most prestigious scholarships of the country. You know, I'm due to start I'm all things, you know, as long as I get my T1. I'm due to start my BPTC in a couple of months time. Like me, me you know, born in the rough, rough council estate of Essex. There's no way I should have been here, but I am. So if I can do it, anyone can do it. Trust me, you've just got to apply. If you don't apply, you won't get it. Yeah, I think I would just reiterate what the others said, that it is it is really hard work, but you have nothing to lose by trying. And if you try your best, then, you know, you might just get there. You might just pull it off. I think the thing that, that kind of kept kept me focused was I came very late to law so I was 30 when I started my my law degree having already kind of had a really successful career before but as I said at the start of this podcast I was really unhappy in it and I I felt trapped and yes three years of doing a degree seems like a really long time but I just said to myself look in three years time you're going to be 33 And at 33, you're either going to still be trapped in a career that you hate or you're going to have a law degree. There's there's no other way. And I thought, well, you know, in three years, I'm I'm, I'm 100 percent going to be 33 and I may as well do it with something, something that I, I really want to achieve. And it is serious hard work. And I said it before, there were nights where I didn't sleep at all. Um, I worked through the night to get what I wanted and now I'm out the other end and like the other two I have two of the most prestigious scholarships in in the UK and no one can take that away Um, and that is what hard work and dedication um, gets you Uh, it doesn't matter where you come from it doesn't matter how you started it doesn't matter your reason why it doesn't matter who you're doing this for as long as you work hard, you can absolutely achieve 
everything. And for me, I actually take a lot of satisfaction in having achieved these things in the face of adversity and in the face of people saying that you can't do it or you don't come from the right background or you don't come from the right school or you never make it as a barrister. I actually take such great pride in the fact that I have done it and I've proved so many people wrong along the way. And I will continue to do so. Um, Whenever somebody says you can't do this, that to me is just a massive challenge. And it's a challenge that I will always overcome. I'm absolutely almost speechless at at how inspiring all three of you are. And I'm sure that if there's any listeners who are on the fence about whether to, you know, go back to university, bearing in mind they've got, you know, X, Y, Z to, to juggle, I'm sure that you would have inspired them to take the steps in in the direction to meet their goals um, because I'm feeling really inspired right now by by all three of you. So thank you so much for coming on to the show. It's been fantastic to have you on. Um, I just just wondered if you would um, mind sharing your details for the listeners to connect with you and and follow your journeys. I I know that we've mentioned Twitter a bit earlier on. I don't know if you guys are on social media anything like that yeah um and first of all thank you for having us we're we're really grateful well I am in a way really grateful to be here so thank you for that um in terms of um my twitter handle that's ketley laurie so it's just my first and last name my last name first so that's k-e-t-l-e-y and then laurie l-a-u-r-i-e um or you can connect with me on linkedin so it's just laurie elizabeth ketley um and yeah if anyone if you're in doubt still or have any questions, please um, feel free to reach out to me um, for any help and advice that I can provide. I would you know, love to help anybody out. So thank you. Yeah, so Twitter is probably the best place to get me. I'm fairly active on there. My handle is uh, lawful student. So just think of awful student, but put an L in front of it. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, less active on there, but still gettable. So it's just Eleanor Mayhew Hills. Um, happy to help people out talk to people I've done a lot of um I've done a lot of uh, moot mentoring so I've, I've won quite a few moot competitions so I'm happy to help people out but also just like not even law related just if you need someone to talk to you always feel like you can reach out to me on, on Twitter um I'm unlike the other two probably because I'm slightly older um but I don't have Twitter and I don't have LinkedIn at the moment but if if anybody does want to to reach out I'm sure if you contact the podcast then they can contact me via email or, or by other means and you know if it's something that I can help with then I will definitely get back to anybody um, and yeah thank you so much for having us on tonight it's, it's been such a pleasure um, sharing experience with you I think it I think also just before signing off I think um, one thing I do want to mention to the listeners is that you can do your law degree part-time as well with the Open University. Um, I think you've just listened to three stories from people who are extremely driven and maybe slightly crazy, but there is another option. Um, But thank you so much for having us on. Yeah, that's a good point, Liam. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think definitely. I think if they listen to the stories tonight, um, they might think it may be slightly unattainable. But um, I definitely think that we have uh, a slight crazy streak in us. Brilliant. Well, 
I mean, it'll be great to touch base with you maybe in a year or so, get you back on the show um, to follow your journeys because they're so inspiring. So, um, but yeah, for now, we've had, we've taken up so much of your time already. Um, so I will sign off at the end of this episode, but listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, if you've got any questions, then please do email us at hello at thestudentlawyer.com. Please do um, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave us a rating and review. Thank you and see you next time. Goodbye. This episode is sponsored by the University of Law. What really sets the University of Law apart from other universities is its belief that its students should learn in a realistic, professional and contemporary context. They focus exclusively on practice-based training and give students access to their extensive career service and jobs vacancy database as soon as they accept a place. Through the University of Law's pro bono programme, law students can hone their skills by working on real cases before they graduate. The University of Law offers a range of postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students advance at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. The University of Law will help you reach your ambitions by delivering an outstanding academic and employment focused experience honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. As soon as you begin your studies with ULaw, you'll learn how to think and act like a lawyer. Whether your aspirations are in law or other fields, their courses will balance academic rigour and practical skills so your career starts from day one. To find out more about the courses they have on offer, just click the link in the description box of the podcast. To hear more of the Student Lawyers podcast, hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. If you would like to join The Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com.